Welcome to the I Say All That to Say This podcast. Thanks for listening to today's episode. Before we get to that, we'd like to tell you about those that make this podcast possible. This week's episode is sponsored by our friends over at Sovereign Financial. Mike Cuckle and Will Hines are incredibly gifted at taking care of you and your investments. They both are good friends and I trust them with my family's future. They not only focus on your ROI, but they also do in-depth research and investigation so you can rest assured that you are only investing in like-minded companies. They call it biblically responsible investing. You can reach out to them at SovereignFIN.com. Again, that's SovereignFIN.com to make an appointment. And if you tell them you heard about them on this podcast, they will give you a free portfolio review and consultation. Welcome to the I Say All That to Say This podcast, an outreach of Impact Sports International. We seek to use sports as a vehicle to take the gospel to the hard to reach, the lost, and and the forgotten. forgotten. Whether that is just 10 minutes down the road or on the other side of the world. Here is your host. Here's your host. Here's your host. Here's your host, John Andrews. Hey guys, and welcome back to the I Say All That to Say This podcast. I'm your host, John Andrews. Going into this year, I felt God moving me to use this platform that He gave us to help highlight other ministries and what God is doing in and through those ministries and the workers in those ministries. I've always believed that kingdom workers, those whose main focus was the Great Commission, should all be on the same team. Unfortunately, we know that's not always the case. But we wanted to use this opportunity and this platform that God has given us to highlight our teammates, those working in other places and in other ways to fulfill the Great Commission. So in these episodes, we are talking with people who are using their unique gifts to help point people to Him and do their part in fulfilling the Great Commission. And that brings me to today's guest. Ronnie Marmel has been serving for the past year as the Director of Constituent and Church Relations for Frontline Missions. But I first met Ronnie about 10 years ago after a mutual friend, or actually mutual friends, had been trying to connect us. They kept telling me, you need to meet this Ronnie guy, you need to meet this Ronnie guy, you need to meet this Ronnie guy. And I said, okay, who is this Ronnie guy? Well, he plays, plays baseball and loves Jesus. But after we got connected, uh, I was drawn to Ronnie, not just because... Of, uh, of a mutual sports background, a love of sports, but Ronnie's humility and his genuine care for people is contagious, and so is his love for Jesus. So it's my pleasure to welcome Ronnie Marmel to the I Say All That to Say This podcast. Welcome to the podcast, Ronnie. Thank you so much. It's uh, a pleasure to be here. Okay, good. Uh, I would hate for you to say anything other than that. <laughs> uh, we have been starting all of these conversations with, with uh, our fellow kingdom workers, uh, our teammates, uh, with the same question. So I want to start here and give us a background into who Ronnie Marmel is. Tell us your Jesus story. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So I was born in Dominican Republic and raised in Miami, Florida. Um, you know, being Dominican back then uh, meant two things. You were culturally Catholic and you loved baseball. Baseball. Yeah, yeah I mean, so you know, you, you learn how to play baseball before you learn how to crawl. That becomes your religion, your identity. But uh like I said, I was I was born to DR and uh, raised in Miami and um, continued playing ball uh, throughout my years. Um, but uh, you know, when it comes to being a Catholic, cultural Catholic back then, it just meant in our family that that Jesus wasn't really something that um, w- someone we followed. It hmm. was just you know just who you were. You were yeah. a Catholic because of where you're from. But anyways, um, playing ball. I, by the time I was a senior in high school. Um, had some success, got drafted in the Major League Draft that year. By whom? 
by the Colorado Rockies. Yeah. Yeah. But I passed it up to go to college and chose one of the schools that had given me an opportunity with a full ride to play baseball. And I went that route with the mentality that I can uh, get drafted again and have a big signing bonus later on in life. And they're going to pay for my school. So perfect. So I yeah. did that. And for the those years of college, I lived what they call the blue chip life mm-hmm. and um, everything at your disposal. And um, my senior year, which was my most important year of going back into the draft, um, three weeks before the season started, I had an injury in my shoulder, throwing down a second base. I was a catcher, and I heard a large pop. Next thing I know, I was getting scanned, and the bad news that I needed surgery. So four screws later, uh, they shaved my bone on my shoulder, reconstructed surgery on my shoulder, and I just was never able to come back. Mm. So the one thing that I knew how to do and do it well um, was taken away from me. So I fell through some years of, I mean, some months of um, just kind of depressed and just yeah. really not knowing what I was going to do. That was my identity. Sure. And um, it was removed from me. So um, graduated in 2001. That was my, my final year um, and started working for the college that I graduated from. And at that point, um, worked for the Office of Admissions where that next school year, I met a young lady who was working same office and she just had this joy about her. And she had this, um, I don't know, there was something unique about her and about all her friends that would mm. come and visit her. And um, it was something that I was craving. My heart was craving it. Uh, the more I got to know her, the more I got to see that she was being disciple. She was very involved in ministry, a college ministry that uh, she was growing in. And uh, she just kept sharing this Jesus. But she was like, no, you, you don't understand. So she went to explain, and she consistently would share the gospel about her love for this Jesus. And the more she shared, the more interested I um, I became. And she introduced me to some of the leaders from college uh, ministry that she was involved in. I got invited to one of the weekly uh, meetings. And October 30th, 2001, uh, the speaker was talking through and teaching from John 10. So I attended the meeting, John 10, he was talking about the Good Shepherd and just went in to explain who the Good Shepherd was and the thief of this world comes to steal, kill and destroy, but I come that you may have life and have it to the fullest. And the Good Shepherd lays down his life for his sheep and went to share the gospel. And for the first time, my eyes were open to this Good Shepherd. And I was so overwhelmed by what I heard that I ran out of the meeting, went into my apartment and I dropped to my knees in October 30th, 2001. I surrendered my life and I said, I, I want this good shepherd. Mm. I want this life that has purpose and with abundance. And um, yeah, and then from there, you know, praise God. This is now the girl that shared the gospel with my wife of 20 years and the mother wow. of our three amazing kids. So by God's grace, um, here we are. Well, if the story had ended up that that was just some girl you met in college, that would have been near as good. But uh the fact that you you guys have now suffered 20 years, yeah, hard to believe God. it's been 20 years, uh, it, it flies. Hmm. Uh, but I, I want to ask you this. So you went from experiencing Jesus for the first time, and you were working at the college, uh, but I know since then you've worked in banking. Uh, you've been a missions pastor. Yeah. Uh, now you're working frontline missions. That's not a straight line. Not at all. So talk us through that journey. How did you get from working at the college and meeting your wife and discovering Jesus to where you are now? Yeah, that's a great question. So, you know, right after we got married, a few, you know, a couple years after we got married, my wife started law school and we moved to the Columbia area. So she's the brains of the operation. No doubt about it. You know, (laughs) said it before and I'll keep saying it to the end. But yeah, so she, once she started attending law school, then I began my banking career and, um, 
I was a branch manager for a little bit, and, and then uh, it, it developed up to 10 years of banking where I was a uh, business banking and also uh, covering a region for the bank. But in the meantime, throughout those years, I, we got involved in ministry. I started serving um, a local church with um, uh, youth ministry and college ministries, and mm-hmm. then just became um, really interested in, in, man, like theology became beautiful to me. Like understand, I, I really wanted to understand the scriptures and be able to teach the scriptures well, be able to have conversations with people. So I began diving into books and courses and et cetera. And before you know it, I was asked to, you know, be involved in, in leading a, a small rural church where I was bivocational still mm-hmm. with my banking career. Yeah. Did that for a little while and then it just became a little overwhelming. So we sure. stepped down and um I Well was, there's no such thing as part time ministry. No, really. there's not. Yeah. There's not. Um it was I was just young and really yeah. wasn't able to handle it well, you know, and um but anyways, you know, stepped down and we got introduced to a church called Whole Point Church is where we've been attending since mm-hmm. and um that is the church that um really allowed my eyes to see uh, the nations. Hmm. Um, I took my first mission trip through the church. Um, Where was your first mission trip? My first mission trip was to Guatemala. Okay. Yeah, so I remember the guy that was... Too bad you didn't speak the language. No, exactly. And it's <laughs> funny how that starts, because I remember the guy that was leading the trip, he comes to me, he says, hey, you know, I, I meet him, I told him, you know, I speak the language, and he says, well, you need to go on this trip. I said, well, it's my first mission trip. If I go, I need, I'm going to pray about this. Mm-hmm. And he says, what are you going to pray about? You speak the language. Like, God wants you to go. He said, what is it to pray about? I said, well, I want to pray to see if it's God's will. I said, he said, let me tell you something. Mm. He said, why don't you commit to going and pray, God, if you don't want me to go, then show me otherwise. I like this guy. I like this guy as yeah. well, you know? So then I, I said, wow, okay. I stepped back and I said, we'll do that and began praying. Well, anyways, ended up in Guatemala. And um, this was the church that introduced me to the nations. This is the church that gave me the opportunity for my eyes to see, my heart to grieve uh, the nations and people. And, and um, so a couple of years later, after being involved in the church, I got a phone call from leadership and they asked if I would consider coming on staff full time which meant leaving my banking career. And my wife and I knew where, where the Lord had um, given me a, a passion for full-time ministry. Mm-hmm. And I left a banking career of almost 10 years and jumped on board full-time in 2014 and uh, served as a missions pastor from then all the way through uh, last year. Yeah. yeah. And it was during that time that you and I first yeah. first met, uh, shortly after you got uh, into that role. So you started... When did you go on your? When did you go on that trip to Guatemala? Wow. What year was yeah, that? Wow, know? that must have been probably maybe twenty twelve. Okay, yeah. so within a couple of years, you've gone mm-hmm. from your first mission project to a missions pastor yeah. at a local church, um, and you know we got to know each other when you were early in that process, and you were reevaluating a lot of the missions connections yeah. that your church had around the world, and you were able to travel. In fact, that's why you were able to go with us the first yeah. time uh, to Southeast Asia because. You then hopped on a plane, and, and you didn't come back with us. You went to a couple of, of the Correct. other partners that your church had. But as you have gone through this role as a missions pastor and now serving with Frontline Missions, how has God grown your heart for missions? Because yeah. you're, you're, you said you first experienced the nations and the lostness and the hurting uh, that is there around, that is, that is existing around the world. Um, 
but you've seen a lot more of the world since Guatemala. Right. And yeah. a lot more of the hurting and a lot more of the, the spiritual darkness that exists yes. and everything else. So how has God grown your heart for missions during that time? Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, um, throughout those years, um, the more trips I was able to take and where the Lord allowed me to see everything that you mentioned, uh, my heart just began to grieve deeper and deeper. But, um, you know, I serve today as, as a director of Church and Assistant Relations uh, at Frontline Missions, and I truly believe that God prepared me over the last decade for this position. Um, and I remember in 2015, in 2015, I went on a mission trip with an organization called Impact Sports. I don't know if you've heard about them, but... Uh, vaguely know. familiar. <laughs> but I went on a mission trip on Southeast Asia, and um, I remember being there with a group of about 18 to 25-year-olds, about 20, 25 guys there that were nationals from there. And I was sharing my testimony from John 10. And mm. I was talking through the Good Shepherd and just sharing with them. And we Which had is some... what God used to draw you to himself. Absolutely. Too. Yeah. yeah. And, and we had a translator, you know, a guy from a national from there. And he was translating for us. And when I got to the words of Jesus and I said, and Jesus said, th they stopped me and they said, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, we don't understand. So I went back to explain it. I thought yeah. it was just my Spanglish coming and out. Said you know? slower. And yeah. said it slower. And said slower. And um, they looked at me and they said, we, we still don't understand. And I said, mm. do you know who this Jesus is? And I went to explain Jesus. And they said, we don't know Jesus. Wow. And for the first time in my life, you got to remember that in 97, I came to South Carolina, came to faith in Christ in 2001. And for the first time, I met someone that had never heard of the name Jesus before. Wow. And just like in 2001, when I left the meeting from the Good Shepherd talk, and I ran to my apartment, dropped to my knees that night in 2015. I was so um, broken by mm. that truth that I went to my apartment and I just, I just broke down in tears. I couldn't believe that this they have never heard that for the first time I met someone that has never heard of Jesus, and I was broken by it. Mm. And I remember reading a little further that night. I just, I, I was just so moved by that that I. I grabbed the scripture and I kept reading in John 10 and it got to that John 10 verse 16, which is, has become a, a very dear verse in my life when it says, and I have other sheep that are outside of this fold. Mm. I must bring them also. Mm. And that night and from there on is where I felt the hand grip of God in my life uh, when it comes to wearing missions and my heartbeat is for places where the gospel has not been proclaimed, where people don't know who Jesus is. But it was on this trip uh, through Impact Sports that God used um, that experience to open my heart even deeper and wider to his work overseas. Yeah. yeah. And so uh, after that trip, uh, how many more trips did you go on with Impact Sports? None. None. Yeah, okay. Just and one. how many times have you, how many hours have you logged working for us? <laughs> wow. It's kind of rhetorical. Yeah, right? I gotcha. Yeah. But it, it, the reason I say yeah. that is this, the, um, the work that you continue to do, um, and in your, through your church, and now that you're doing frontline missions, we're a small part of that. And, and it's just a beautiful picture of all of us being on the same team. Uh, you haven't been back with Impact Sports. You haven't you haven't worked on staff full time for us, um, but you're still a kingdom worker, and mm -hmm. and that's what that's why we're doing this series, and we're going to do it as long as God tells me to, and as long as God provides people to to, to interview, because 
uh, God works. He's so much bigger than us, and he works in so many different ways and in so many different uh, lives and mm. and works in people's lives in mm. different ways. Yeah. And um, and so this is just a beautiful picture of how we really can and should partner with each other. Amen. Yeah. Um, because you were going because we were doing a baseball trip. Yep. You know, and that was that was the that was the draw for you. If I'd asked you to go on a basketball trip, you say, eh, probably not. <laughs> uh, hey, why don't you go to uh, teach ultimate frisbee? No, nope, never done that. <laughs> Baseball, yeah. okay, yeah. But then God used that in your life, and it's changed so many since. And we're just we're a small part of that. And no, we're honored, no doubt, man. I mean, I, I truly believe that at that point, when God removed the idol of baseball, was to allow me to see the beauty of the cross. And then He used, you know, people. I truly love when when Paul says in the Scripture, you know, I am who I am by the grace of God. And mm-hmm. I think in my life, I am who I am by the grace of God, and also by the influence of people in my life. Mm-hmm. And and that trip with Impact Sports was a life-changing where it turned the corner. That's why I felt the hand grip of God to do what I get to do now. So without a doubt. But in a beautiful picture, though, because you said uh, that baseball had become a God. Yeah. And and a little G God, for sure. But mm. he moves that out of the way so that you could see the cross. Amen. And then he redeemed that in you again Amen. so that He could you could see more of him. Amen. Uh, I, that just that just struck me right now. Um, all the years we've talked about that moment mm-hmm. and living that with you, um, God redeeming something that was an obstacle was it was a hindrance to you coming to know Him initially. That's right. Redeemed that for you to see the global need in the world. Amen. Yeah. Man. All right. Well, let's transition. Yeah. Uh, let's let's. That's what has been. Okay. Yeah. So what is now? You are you are the. Uh, I want to say this right. You are the. A director of constituent and church relations for Frontline Missions. Um, that sounds very important. Um, and I know you're going to say it's not. But I want you to tell us uh, kind of what is the what is the heartbeat? What's the yeah. purpose of Frontline Missions? And then beyond your why, tell us what you do. Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, I, I play a very small part, but I get, get the privilege of working for Frontline Missions International. The heartbeat is our passion. We exist to advance the gospel in the world's difficult places. And what we mean by difficult places is we're talking about gospel destitute, gospel famine locations of the world. These are places where there's little to no gospel movement. Mm-hmm. Um, and I get the privilege of being a, a part of that. Uh, I oversee all our church relationships and partnerships and all our constituent relationships and partnerships as well across the United States and um, internationally as well. But um, that's what we do. We want to come alongside the church. Our heartbeats to come alongside the local body and to be a missions resource to the local church that continues to help them to be faithful to the Great Commission. We mm-hmm. want to help the church to pray knowledgeably. We want to help the church to to give purposefully and to send strategically to mm-hmm. the places of the world where there is no gospel advancement. And we're talking about, you know, what's common and known in the in the missions world as the 1040 window. Well, yeah. two-thirds of the you know population lives um, without the gospel. So mm-hmm. that's where we focus. All right. So you mentioned the gospel destitute. I like that phrase. In your experience, what are the reasons, maybe not all of them, what are sure. a few of the reasons that places in the world are gospel destitute? There, There is no gospel pres- presence or gospel movement, as you said. What are some of the reasons that exist out there? Maybe for somebody that's listening to this and they just are in their own bubble, uh, they go to work, go to church, love their family, uh, lead their kids, love their wives, their husbands, um, 
but maybe don't have a, a global perspective just yet. What are the things, what are some of the things that uh, are reasons for people having never heard the gospel? Yeah, you know, in, in the areas we work in, you know, when you look at the pillars of society, um, one of the things may be uh, where you're not able to go in there and do the work of a missionary. So religion, which is established by the government, right, right by the authority, um, does not allow for your common missionary traditional way of, you know, a missionary coming from here or any other country and go in there to share the gospel. So that's one of the reasons is there is no presence there. Uh, because it may be uh, the term of a close country, we hear that a lot, or restricted access. Mm-hmm. Um, so we, we look at these difficult places and we say, okay, the, that is, that is a, a very strong um, uh, stamp to put on a country, and we understand the reasons why, but the reality is that Coca-Cola is in there, Gospel, I mean, uh, uh, Google's in there. Um, there are so many other large companies that have found a way to get into yeah. these countries and be established. So then we as followers of Jesus have to figure out a way with mm. very creative mobilization of equipping people and getting them into these countries just to live long-term as witnesses for Jesus. So I think there's various reasons why there there's no gospel um, presence there, but I think we here in the church have contributed to that. Mm. Uh, one of the reasons I say that is because if we look at the stats that are out there, various various resources will show that out of all the missions money that we give, a very small percentage, the millions and millions of dollars that go out towards missions, global missions, less than 2% go towards hard places of the world. Say it again. So out of the millions of dollars that go out towards the work of global missions. And less, this is the big C church. This is the big C okay. church. Less than 2% are being allocated and sent to difficult places, gospel destitute places of the world. And just to go back to what you said a minute ago, that's two-thirds of the population, yeah. and less than 2% of those yeah. have any gospel presence. That's exactly right. That's where the most population of Muslims and Buddhists and you know Hindus yeah. and atheists and etc. Two-thirds of the population. So we are sending the least amount of money to the most populated places of the world without the gospel of Jesus. That's one of the reasons. When you look at missionaries that are leaving the states into the mission field, then we're looking at less than 5% of missionaries leaving are going to hard places. Mm. So we, we have to really sit back and evaluate, you know, why? And yeah. is there a better way to do this where we could get people there um, with their, you know, some creative mobilization opportunities? Mm. Well, you, you talk about the gospel destitute and creative missions. I, I, I was piddling around on your website. Uh, in preparation for this, and I'm gonna I'm gonna quiz you on a few things. Okay, uh, <clears throat> you started Frontline Mission started as Eastern European Ministries, um, and that was to take advantage of the new gospel opportunities that came in Eastern Europe after the Berlin Wall fell. Um, there was a vacuum that that needed to be filled, and and. Uh, your founder and, and the guys that helped him start the ministry stepped into that role. And so that was the heartbeat initially, but you can still see the DNA where they're working in the hard reach. Uh, how have things changed with Frontline Missions since the days of stepping in after the wall falls? Yeah, sure. So in 1992, Eastern European Ministries um, was established as an opportunity to 
assist in spreading the gospel mm-hmm. um, in what was considered the former uh, Iron Curtain countries, right? right? Um, and it was just a great opportunity where there was an open window where it gave the church in America also a, a channel to be able to partner and do ministries in an area was that, that the gospel was needed. So yeah. that was planning churches, that was doing children's camps, that was um, uh, translation of the Bible and, and distribution of the Bible and et cetera. So it was, it was an opportunity that it was established in 92. Then in 2002, we changed from Eastern European Ministries to Frontline Missions International. And the purpose of that was just to expand our sphere of ministry sure. and influence um, and go into areas of Asia, Middle East, and also um, Africa. And since then, we have been working in that 1040 window, expanding from Africa all the way to the outer islands of Indonesia yeah. in that pocket there of, hmm. of missions. Yeah. All right. So I, uh, I found this on the website, mm-hmm. and uh, this, is, this is a quote. Okay. okay. So I'm going to get you to describe it after I finish. Okay. Our view of God's kingdom is often too small and limited to what we have experienced. Dispatches from the front highlights the marvelous extent, diversity, and unity of Christ's kingdom in our world. The journal format of each episode underscores the daily unfolding of God's activity on the front lines, bringing viewers up close with sights and sounds from distant corners of the kingdom. So in in that, uh, there's dispatches from the front. Tell us what that is. Uh, I had a chance to look at it some yesterday and, and uh, only had a chance. I, I, I watched one of the trailers for one of the episodes and went through and watched all the trailers. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I didn't have time to watch yeah. a full episode of that time, but I went through yeah. and watched all the trailers. Yeah. So tell us what Dispatches from the Front is. Yeah, so Dispatches uh, from the Front is a uh, series of documentary films that was that have been created uh, through Frontline Missions. Our, our founding and executive director, Tim Cassie, um, and basically what it does is it's a resource that allows us to tell the big story mm. and tell the big story of how God continues to build his, build his church, how God continues to expand his kingdom. It tells uh, the story of like there, there are no boundaries that the gospel cannot penetrate through. Mm. So we use these resources, these films, to give you a small window into how God is doing that in parts of the world that are very difficult, where people don't hear about the movement of God in these areas. And we just want to give you, again, a small glimpse of how God is moving there. We want to encourage the church. We want to um, be able to challenge through these where, where we allow God then to just you know move and compel people to be involved some way, shape, or form in advancing the gospel in these hard places. And they're broken up by region, basically. Yeah. So a cultural distinction, maybe a geographical distinction, maybe even a legal uh, distinction yeah. of how they're working. Absolutely. There's 14 of them yeah. currently, um, and you can stream them free yeah. online now if you go to our website, um, which is you know frontlinemissions.info, okay. and on the top right under dispatches, you can see them all, all 14 of them. Um, 10 of the 14 are, are available uh, free online. The yeah. other four, for security reasons, sure. we cannot, but they're right. available through DVD stills. Um, but yeah, the, that's what, that's the whole purpose. And, and they are divided up by regions and country and et cetera. Um, just by God's grace, he's allowed us to, to be in parts of the world that we can never imagine. And we want to continue to tell the big story to the church that God is moving and will continue mm-hmm. to accomplish his mission. 
something I always, when I have a chance to share with people about our work and what we do and, and to what you're saying, the, the hard to reach places, uh, the hard to get to places. We're going somewhere uh, in Africa, uh, right in the middle of the Sahara Desert in, uh, in a couple of weeks, actually. Uh, I guess we're there now as you're listening to this. Now think about it. Um, and it, there's not a, there's not a, a, a plane that goes, that flies to the city where we are right now. Um, so it's, it's a hard to reach. Sometimes it's, it's a, it's a legal obstruction. Sometimes it's a cultural, uh, fear. Sometimes it's just geography. Correct. Uh, <clears throat> but you, in these dispatches, you begin to see faces and you learn names. And whenever we talk about missions, it's not because these numbers, two thirds right. of yep. the world's population and only 2% Less than two percent have a gospel presence. Those can get lost, Correct. you know. When you when you translate to two thirds of the population of four point two or three or four billion, whatever it is now, uh, I, I don't operate in billions. Mm. I mean, billions don't occupy. There's not enough space in my head <laughs> for billions, right? And so we can those can get lost on us sometimes. And I just tell people it, it's not it's not four point three billion. It's one. Mm. And um, those the dispatches uh, video series puts faces and names with the need. Yeah. And and that was the beautiful thing I saw about that. And I'm going to have a chance to go back and watch yeah. each one at length. But I challenge you, and, and the, the website is frontlinemissions.info, you said. Frontlinemissions.info. And the, the drop-down menu up top, you can find the dispatches. I challenge you to do that. Uh, something we were talking about when we got together last week, uh, you were talking about the three driving purposes uh, in f- the fulfilling... God's call in this ministry. Uh, you mentioned telling the big story, equipping gospel risk takers. I love that name, gospel risk takers. Um, in this context, we're talking about maybe some hard to reach dangerous places, but my goodness, a gospel risk taker could be seen in Starbucks. You know what I mean? Yeah, uh, but telling the big story, equipping gospel risk takers, and then sending long-term workers. Break those down for us. Explain those uh, and and how that fits into the DNA and and the 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 greater purpose and plan of frontline missions. Yeah. So in advancing the gospel in the world's difficult places, uh, the three driving forces, like you said, were, you know, that telling the big story we just talked about. Uh, one of the ways that we do that is through the dispatches and our resources. Another way we do that is by serving the local church, washing the feet of the church, and being coming alongside, being a partner, and speaking at the church, educating the church. Um, speaking at conferences, we want to continue telling the big story like we just said. Uh, Number two, which is the equipping gospel risk takers. What we want to do here is we want to bridge the gap between uh, someone with zeal. Mm -hmm. So we want to bridge the gap between zeal, passion, and also knowledge and experience. Mm. So someone that has zeal, how do we get them uh, involved in a way that allows them to continue to discern whether long-term work is something that God is calling them to do. Because, um, you know, zeal w- without experience and knowledge can be very destructive mm-hmm. when it comes to overseas missions. Yeah. So a lot of times, you know, we're seeing people being sent, and before you know, they're back for various reasons. So instead of sending people hoping and praying that it works out, why don't we do a better job on our side um, in studying a little bit more, diving a little deeper, getting some more experience um, in where we're sending and how we're sending people. So equipping gospel risk takers, what we do is we provide an on-field experience. We call it the FX 
or Frontline Experience Internship. We have two, an FX1 and an FX2. And what we want to accomplish through this, we want to come alongside again the church and help them to clarify that zeal, Mm -hmm. confirm it, and then commission it. All right. So what we do is we come along and we provide a two month. The FX one is a two month training internship that we place them in one of these places where we have a family, a field staff okay. for Frontline that they'll be mentored. Um, last year we had a group, um, two teams that went group of about ten people, two teams that went different locations. But um, uh, you're there for two months. And basically what that does is it helps you become aware. It helps you really um, start looking into culture, into language, and into ministry. What does that mm. look like? Your typical experience, for most cases, uh, you know, seven to ten days mission experience, right? Yeah. Um, w- once you're there for about four weeks, yeah. you start dealing with some of the emotions, the cycles that come sure. with that. You know, the things from culture begin to bug you a little bit. They be- can begin to uh, uh, get magnified, mm-hmm. right? And you begin to kind of just get a little irritated, you yep. know, because people are different, cultures different, but we want to help you walk through that. We want to help you process that. Mm. All right. That's a four weeks, a six weeks. You're going, I, I want to go home. Yeah. Like you're, you're, you're really missing home by week eight. You're either saying, you know what? This is not for me and that's okay. Or yeah. you're either saying, I can't wait to come back. Hmm. All right. So we want to work with the church to help again, clarify, confirm and commission. And that's FX one. Then we look at, is there someone God is racing for FX two? FX two now is a two year internship. Back again into a location with one of our field staff there, one of our families in a, uh, a hard place. And now you're looking into more of um, uh, ability. First was awareness. And you want to look at, you know, uh, rhythms of faithfulness. Can I mm. be faithful in these three things, right? And then the two-year is now can I be fruitful? So mm. you dive deeper, rhythms of fruitfulness. Now you dive deeper into culture, deeper into what ministry is going to look like long term. Right. And deeper into language. You're studying language three hours a day. Now you're really trying to grasp what would it look like for me to stay here faithfully and fruitfully long term. So that's the FX1 and that's the FX2. Um, and this is, these are just on-field opportunities to help people kind of continue to discern, is this long term work for me? So that's equipping gospel risk takers, which leads to our overall end goal, which is, you know, sending long-term workers. Mm -hmm. And basically what we want to do is through the FX1 and FX2, it's not how many people we can get through the program or through the internship, it's to make sure that the right people go through so that we're placing people that are a little better equipped. And a lot of what you're going to learn, you're going to learn on the field. Mm -hmm. But we want people to be able to go long-term and be a witness for Jesus very strategically, but be there faithfully and fruitfully long-term. I'm I'm curious, uh, and you may not know the answer to this question. I didn't prep you for this, uh, <clears throat> but the number of FX tours, right, that spend the two years and then choose to go long term, which some people listen are like well, two years—that's long enough, or that is long term, but uh, lifetime, you know, or for the foreseeable future, whatever God has, however long God has, going from the two year to the long term. I, I'm curious if you know how many people end up serving long term in the place where they did the two month or the two year. Or do they is is there is their heart for a specific people or is their heart for the nations? And I I, I wouldn't say either is wrong. 
Right, I think God yeah. equips. I'm just curious uh, yeah. from your your perspective and 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 y'all's experience. Um, do you find more people committing to the Great Commission generically, or are there specific peoples that he placed that God places on their hearts? Yeah, I, that's a great question. I think God works, you know, in various ways, right? Uh, I do think that there are people that will end after the two years Mm -hmm. working in a specific place where they were, you know, Mm -hmm. they were there for the two-year internship and maybe stay there. I mean, we have people like that with frontline missions. Right. um, And that's okay. But for the most part, what I've seen is that um, even when people come in with a zeal, desire, a passion for a specific area or a specific group and et cetera, um, typically that's not necessarily where they end up. Yeah. Um, I, what we're looking for, again, is humility more than anything else. Mm. You know, I think humility would take you a lot further than, you know, knowledge or any type of degree or any type of on the field. Humility would take you much further. We want people that can come and say, can you be faithful and can you be fruitful during this time? And if God chooses to place you where you've done, then great. But for the most part, there, there are people also even that come off the two year and they say, you know what? great experience, but I don't think it's long-term. And that's okay. That's completely fine because then they're they're equipped for the experience they've gotten there and the the, the equipment they've gotten that they can go back to the local church and they can be a part of equipping and mobilizing others, you know, to the ends of the earth. So it's okay. Or they may end up with with another, you know, on another part of the world with another organization, whatever. And that's okay. Like, how do we then help people take a next step in the, direction, in the direction of the Great Commission um, to the ends of the earth. So th- that's what we want. So I don't have specific numbers. I just know that most of the time uh, where people spend their short midterm type of uh, experience doesn't necessarily end up with uh, them ending up in that specific location. Right. As you're talking, I was reminded of just what I read in my quiet time this morning, and it was out of Joshua chapter 1. And uh, Moses ha- has passed away. Joshua has now taken over, and he's leading the children of Israel uh, into the Promised Land. And we know that two and a half of the tribes of Israel are, are to stay on the eastern side of the Jordan. Um, but their fighting men are still to go with mm. them, to help them uh, claim the Promised Land. He said, you can leave your, your wives and your children here, but the, send the warriors yep. with us. And in verse 16 of Joshua chapter 1, they answered Joshua. And as you were talking, I asked, I didn't plan on, I didn't think of this until you started answering my question. But whether it's somewhere specific or it's something in general, it's just an answer to God's call. Uh, In verse 16, after Joshua says, you're going to go with us and help help us liberate the promised land, they responded to him, we will do whatever you command us Mm. and we will go wherever you send us. Mm. And I think probably um, we're united in this. That our heart is that's the response mm, of the people yeah. that are involved in our ministries. Amen. Um, that they would they would just um, they'd say wherever, whenever. Yeah, open you know? hands. That's right. Hmm. That's uh, right. So if if something you've said, uh, something we've talked about today, um, or maybe just even, hey, I want to know more about yeah. the dispatches. I want to know more about this global need. I want to know yeah. more about this. Two thirds of the population live in, in this. What is this ten forty window thing? Mm-hmm. Uh, they just want to know more about what you guys do. How can people get involved with frontline missions? Either just in a in an informational sense, 
or I want, I, I'm, I'm locked into this. I want to be a part of this. Or maybe I'm not the one that can go, should go, called to go, but I want to send. How can people get involved with Frontline Missions? Yeah, absolutely. So various ways. You know, I think if you're, you know, that uh, 18 to 35-year-old um, where you're, you have this, this heartbeat for, for, for missions, you, you come from a church that is serious about that, mm. um, I, I say, you know, let's have a conversation. Let's, let's see what's that next step that gets you that experience and a little bit more knowledge that can bridge the gap with that, with that uh, zeal. So I would say you can go to the website. You can go ahead uh, at frontlinemissions.info. You can, you know, there's information there. Um, you can reach one of our staff uh, there. We'll gladly uh, speak with you. Um, an- another way is we know God calls, you know, his people to pray. So we know that in anything and everything is, is, is for him, through him, and by him. And we know that ministries are, are, are developed through prayer, sustained through prayer, and we end up in worship of our king. So that prayer is always essential. But prayer, uh, you know, when I see, look at scripture, there was whenever, whenever there was prayer, there was always movement that came afterward, right? Mm-hmm. So we pray for the purpose of moving, of following I want to applaud him. I want to seek. I want, I want to worship who he is, and that leads me to following the king. So, in that, I would say I, I always see when we look at the Great Commission that God does two things: He raises people to go. There are people that need to go. There are people that God raises to to go and preach the gospel and evangelize and go to these hard places and plant churches, and which is what they need to do. Mm. God raises people to go. But God also raises people to send, mm. all right? The only thing I don't see is God raising up people to stand on the sideline and yeah. just watch. Yeah. So we either are going or we're sending. Mm. And if you're someone that has a stirring about, man, should I go? Reach out to your church leadership and reach out to organizations. Reach out to us or any of your partners that, yeah. that do something similar. And begin to have that conversation that will help you to clarify, confirm, and hopefully commission you out. Mm. If it's a matter of like, hey, you know what? I, God's not sending me to go. Well, he is sending you to pray and send. Yeah. So then I would say, get behind that gospel cause, mm. get behind it and be involved, personally involved and financially involved. Like mm. be in prayer, be there physically, emotionally involved behind that gospel cause and become a patron of that. We see that term in the scriptures and we see the ladies when, uh, that, that were behind the, you know, everything that Jesus did and they were supporting his ministry. And it says that they, they gave out of their needs towards the ministry. So this gospel patron um, terminology is, is something that comes from the scripture that is someone that gets behind a ministry that allows the ministry to go further than it would on its own, mm-hmm. right? So like you either go or we send, we yeah. get behind it and we're sending people, be the rope holder on this side that mm. says, you know what, I'm going to be about that, and I'm going to be fully devoted to that, and mm. just do it. But, do it. but it takes both. It takes people going, and it takes people sending. And you, you you said the words just now, just do it. It's not a Nike commercial, <laughs> right? But I think to some people who are considering what their role is in the Great Commission, and they, they, they have no clarification, they have no one in their lives that have confirmed their calling or their position in this call uh, and have not had no one yet, maybe just yet or at all to commission them and send them to hear the words, just do it might seem, um, I don't know. It might seem uh, 
too generic, too sure. vague. And as you were talking, I thought about a, 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 as a inner city pastor in, in Chicago, and, and I heard a, a message, uh, Charles Lyons was his name, and he, he, he preached a message years ago, and he said that he talks to people all the time that say, man, pastor, I wish I had more of a heart for missions. <laughs> and his response to those people is, okay, give to missions. And like, wait, 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 wait. Hey, you know, that's not, uh, that's not what I'm, he said, give to missions because Jesus was the one that said, where your treasure is, that's right. there your heart will be also. He said, if you invest in stocks, you open up, and of course this dates the sermon a little bit. He said, you open up the paper and look at the stock page <laughs> and see how you're doing. Yeah. You're invested in that literally, literally and yeah. figuratively. And, and so that's, I think what you're saying is get in, get invested in, in great commission work, whether it's going physically involved in serving somewhere, maybe in, on the, on the backside, the, uh, behind the lines or sending pay, uh, uh, funding, uh, giving of your finances, giving of your gifts. Um, I, I think, go ahead. No. Yeah. I, I think you're absolutely right. I, I think, you know, for someone that's in that scenario, you got to get plugged in your church. Yeah. You got to begin to have these conversations with your leaders in your church and say, you know what, can you help me? Hmm. I, I want to know what's my next step here. Because the reality is, is that like, like missionaries don't come out of seminaries. They come out of churches that are serious about making disciples that make disciples that send people yeah. out. So your first step is to get plugged in the church and get behind what your church does locally and globally. Mm. And I believe when you begin to do that locally, it for me was I got involved. I got involved in doing life with a community group. I got involved then in doing some local um, outreach to a, a international um, ministry. Yeah. Then I went on my first mission trip. But getting involved was my first step. Right. That led me to, you know, other things later on. But yeah. get involved. Well, and I think in the in your involvement, in that process of involvement, God begins to clarify Absolutely. things. Um, I think about a guy that I, I asked to go on a trip with us years ago. And he was in college, and I knew that God, he had expressed a call to youth ministry. And I asked him to go somewhere overseas. It's hard, one of these hard-to-reach places, one of these uh, difficult uh, gospel-destitute places that you've been talking about. And he said, you know, John, I'm not really sure. God's called me to youth ministry. I don't know if I should go to where you're talking about. And I said, okay, let me... Let me ask you a question. Are you saying that if God called you to youth ministry, but you chose to go on this trip and to go to the other side of the planet where the gospel is not known and people have never heard Jesus' name before, and you have a chance to share Jesus with them for the very first time, that's going to make you a worse youth pastor? <laughs> he said, well, since you put it that way... But isn't that isn't that it? I mean, we, we try to we try to clarify, and you, you've used that word, and I love that it's part of a process. It's not the end; right. uh, it's only the beginning. But we try to crystallize, yeah. clarify it so much that it's exactly what God wants us to do. <laughs> we're not going to step until we know for right. sure. And when you said, and I love what you said, God was preparing you all along. Mm. And so uh, I say all that, and I think it's safe to say that Ronnie says all that to say this as well. God can use anybody to do anything. He wants to use you. He wants to use your gifts. He wants to use your passions to do something in and through you that you would not believe, even if he told you beforehand. Uh, 
He's done that with Ronnie. Ronnie, I think if you're sitting, uh, maybe it's five twenty in the afternoon, the bank is closed. You're stuck at your desk doing paperwork and you take, if somebody happened to walk in, you know, knock on the door at the bank, he's already locked. Nobody can get in. You go open the door and he said, Hey, in 12 years from now, <laughs> you're going to be speaking at churches, challenging them to fulfill the Great Commission and equipping them and telling them how to do so. Mm. That's just so far removed from that, Absolutely. your office in the bank, you know. And so God wants to do that in and through all of us. Mm. And whether our giftings are something that shows up and everybody sees or something behind the scenes. Uh, but having known you for almost a decade now, I'm excited to see what God is doing in you and now what uh, is God God is continuing to do through you. Mm. So I want to thank you for being willing to take that step uh, and take each step along your process, along your journey. Uh, as he as God clarified things in your life, you were willing to take that next step. And certainly Liz was willing to walk <laughs> with you in that uh, for the last 20 years. So I want to thank you for being obedient. I want to thank you for being humble, and I want to thank you for being part of the podcast today. Thank you, John. Appreciate it, brother. As a reminder, guys, we release this podcast on the first and third Tuesdays of every month. If you're brand new to the podcast, you can go back and check out episode one and learn a little bit more about Impact Sports, what we do, but more importantly, why we do it. If you'd like to hear more from us, we're now sending out weekly devotionals called Thoughts from Outside the Boat. If you'd like to sign up to get those weekly, you can go to utterlyamazed.com and sign up right there on the homepage. To find out more about our ministry, you can go to Impact Sports online, or you can follow us on social media at Impact Sports INT on Instagram and Impact Sports. Sports International on Facebook. We'll see you next time on I Say All That to Save You.